Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Prompt Night, brought to you by the Basic Pitches. My name is Dan and with me is Reese. Hi, that's me. Hi Reese. how are you? I'm good Dan, how are you? Been a while. Oh good, episode 2, uh, 2 to make it true, we've made it, we've done it, it's not a yep. one hit wonder. Welcome to Prompt Night 2, Electric Boogaloo. The sequel. The sequel, Excellent. hopefully more impressive than the original. Well, hopefully you sound a lot better. And just for people out there oh, listening, thank you, Dan. Just for people nice out there listening, um, Reese isn't breaking uh, lockdown protocol. He's not sat on my lap. He's got a new microphone <laughs> set up. Uh, he's 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 left the tin the, the, the tin pot station at home. Got himself a new microphone <laughs> set up. However, as soon as lockdown is lifted, I will be over there on your lap recording with you. Oh, right. Um, in the last episode, we uh, obviously went away and wrote our essays or opinion pieces on the prompts that we chose. Um, just as a recap, um, I chose your prompt, which was the ode to a fond film uh, or, or a love letter to hackers. Yeah, a, a sci-fi movie that was too harshly rated. Yes. And I yeah. think for, for myself, uh, you chose... Um, the what, world of tomorrow. Yeah, so the uh, 1989 episode of Tomorrow's World, uh, what they got right, how close we were, and what could be next. Yeah, well, funnily enough, um, do you remember last week I said that uh, critics were too harsh on the movie Hackers? In I... my research, I found out that actually Mark Commode, kind of chief critic for the BBC, or so it seems, uh, he's actually quite a fan of Hackers. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. So uh, how about I start by reading your piece? So what we're going to do is we're going to read each other's out. Um, uh, it's always a bit awkward. Do I have to listen? Well, because can I, can I, I'm just going to I'm going to cringe. I'm going to die on the inside with every sentence you say. That's okay. I'll do the same with mine. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's fair. Lovely. I can live with that. All right. So uh, this is Reese's piece. Uh, Hackers stole my heart. The movie Hackers was written by somebody you've never heard of, directed by someone whose other work you probably won't recognise. It stars a lot of people you'll look at and go, "Huh, oh, you're in this too. It's also the most underrated movie ever, and it deserves way more than a 33% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's the first film that came to mind when a friend of mine told me he'd run out of things to watch. How does that happen? You have the whole internet access. God damn it, Derek. But this story, unlike my favourite film, doesn't have a happy ending because Derek didn't fall in love with hackers, like I hoped he would. So I'm going to take the time to explain why Derek is wrong to you, just like I did to him. Ready? Okay, let's go. The main thing to understand is that modern Hollywood is this monolith of breathtaking CGI. From dinosaurs to entire galaxies to getting the rain just right, anything can be comped in post. Look at some sci-fi remakes, reboots, and requels. Requels? That's a reboot that's also a sequel. And yes, it's a real word, Derek. They're slick. And that makes them look easy to like. You can see where the money goes, but they're also too busy looking cool to have anything to say. Hackers doesn't worry about looking cool. I could walk you through the plot, but then we'll be taking the film at face value, and it has so much more going on. 
So instead, I'll try to explain the feel of the movie and just what I think it's trying to do. I first saw Hackers about 10 years after it came out, when it was already so far behind what computers looked like it seemed like a joke. There's a scene where the character's lust over a laptop's RAM at a time where the average was about 32 megabytes. I'm writing this on a PC with 16 gigabytes of RAM. My phone has four. Even my TV has more RAM than most of the machines in this movie. There's an early scene in which two hackers fight for control of a minor TV broadcaster in the middle of the night. By dropping quick cuts from fingers, keyboards, or clips of old western shootouts, hackers explains the fight through visual metaphors. It doesn't care about accuracy because only the emotions need to be real. There's an energy to it that's lost when he tries to appease the experts reacts to and everything wrong with videos out there. The fact is this movie isn't about the literal. The goofy characters, their drama, spinning phone booths and screens that project onto users' faces aren't realistic. This isn't technology as it was, it's technology as a metaphor, as an interface between people. It gives a voice to characters who are otherwise voiceless and connects like-minded people. Even the hero and villain eventually connect over their shared alienation from the civilians of Meatspace. You might call it genius. You might even call it video expressionism. I wouldn't know, because if I did, Derek would call me pretentious again. The perfectly shiny remakes, reboots and requels of the world have their place, and I've watched each of them at least twice. But not every movie needs to be judged in the same way, and not all art needs to be updated. Imagine reinventing Picasso through photography, it would be a catastrophe. So yes, Hackers is unafraid to be cool, because it isn't cool to be passionate or invested. The movie knows that and wears it on its sleeve. It's no coincidence the main character's alias is literally Zero Cool. But I didn't get that all the first time I watched it. It wasn't until another decade later, when I rediscovered it as a far from a friend called Hackers 1995 1080p Blu-ray.x24YIFY, that it blew my mind. Maybe it's because I was a bit older and a bit wiser, or maybe the new movie releases of today just felt too familiar. I found myself watching a movie that was in on the joke. It knew it could never keep up with where technology was going, so instead focused on what art is supposed to do, express a personal truth. And it just so happens to express that in a fun, campy, tongue-in-cheek way. It would be a mistake to suggest Hackers was ahead of its time, because it made no predictions. You could argue that it stepped outside its time to remain ageless, but the truth is, it was so out of its time and so passionately so. Maybe it's the kind of thing you'll watch and just not get, at least not the first time, but I hope you do, so you have a chance to see it as I do. And anyway, Derek, your favourite film is Rat Race, so how are you throwing shade? That's a great oh. piece. Oh, it's nice of you to say. I really enjoyed that. That's great. Oh, I felt, I felt really the emotion. Them. I felt the emotion as I read that. Hey. You really put your heart and soul into it. I did. I love that movie. Awesome. Derek doesn't, but... No, yeah, well, him. 
Derek doesn't know what he's talking about, clearly. <laughs> well, thank you, Reese. That was a fantastic first piece for Prompt Night. Um, Cheers. And uh, I can, uh, I, yeah, Reese, we, you, you went for it. Well, um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't know. Well, what, what else can I say? Uh, apart from it's time to read out yours. Oh, fantastic. Take it away. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. From Annihilation Earth to A Quiet Place, Pacific Rim to Edge of Tomorrow, the film industry's elaborately fictitious presentations of 2020 have often been pretty grim, typically featuring monsters or alien invasions, being fought with equally elaborate technology such as giant battle mechs and advanced robotic exosuits. Where's my exosuit? We're probably in the garage next to the hoverboard and self-tying shoelaces from 2015. However, for a more reserved, optimistic portrayal of home life in 2020, we may look no further than the 1989 episode of the classic, classic British TV show Tomorrow's World. CEO of Applied Futures, Christine McNulty, proposed, People will want all the benefits of modern technology, but without all the cluttered and complex gadgetry that we have today. We'll have things under control without all these buttons and knobs, and what's more, the technology itself will be embedded in the very fabric of the house and its furnishings. Minimalism was the answer. No wires, no mess. Let's be honest, few people really enjoy cable management. Just how close were their predictions to what we have today? What have we achieved, and what is still science fiction? Of their suggestions for the home, four main advantages were put forward. 1. Lighting that would switch on or off as you walk between rooms. Thanks to the humble Passive Infrared, or PIR, sensor, this has been achievable for some time, when linked to either a conventional lighting control system or more recent smart domestic applications with hub and app-based setups like Philips Hue and Hive. Actions can be programmed to respond to movement, which are then recalled when you're detected by the sensor. Box ticked. 2. Music control by voice. Alexa, Google and Siri have become literal household names. We talk to them every day, with monotonous questions such as requesting a weather update. Who is in that offbeat rom-com from 2006? and broadcasting music to a smart speaker with services such as iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and Google Play. We're two for two. Three, charging devices through pads that draw power from the walls instead of fixed socket outlets. Okay, this is where the prediction starts to get a bit ahead of themselves. Sadly, we haven't reached the stage where the walls of our homes are live and conductive, and probably for a good thing. <laughs> Maybe your local health and safety officer would like to have a word with you. However, wireless charging is here, the wonders of electromagnetic induction. The feature is available most notably with modern mobile phones, as well as some smartwatches and laptops. The ability to freely place your device on a pad and watch the battery percentage increase still feels like something out of Star Trek to me. Turning your window into a TV or computer screen is number four. Now this definitely sounds far-fetched. A window-sized screen that could transform into a television, artwork, or even be camouflaged as part of the wall? Well, since 2015, Companies like Samsung and LG have demonstrated see-through OLED displays, and Panasonic has been working to develop a fully-fledged consumer TV using LG's 55-inch transparent OLED panels. In his video from 2016, what appears to be a shelving unit with a glazed front becomes a solid visual display when activated. Early production models were teased for this year. It might not be the size of your window, but it's an impressive step closer. So if these were the big predictions for 2020, what are my predictions for, say, 2050? What advantages could we see in 30 years' time? With the continued threat of global warming and finite mineral resources, 
the continued development of renewable energy has to be at the forefront of generating domestic power. It's already quite common to see solar panels on the roofs of people's homes. But what about the family runaround? Could further advances in photovoltaic cells give hybrid a whole new meaning? A company called Lightyear has been working on a prototype vehicle called the Lightyear One, unveiled last year. Similarly, Toyota, Scion, and Hyundai are also investing into solar vehicle research, while Tesla's Cybertruck will be fitted with panels to extend the achieved mileage by up to 15 miles. Perhaps in 30 years' time, these would be the new choice for the Uber driver. Okay, how about something more blue sky? Commercially ready, thought-based smart tech. The ability to ask about tomorrow's weather, or what time your favourite film is on, without verbalising it and getting an answer. Or controlling lights and appliances by thinking about it. Finally, we would be done with cables, wires, and most of all, hubs. Those little boxes with lights that now litter our living rooms, feeding frantically from our Wi-Fi networks. Well, it might not be as blue sky as you think. Scientists from the University of California, San Francisco, have been creating a mind-reading device that also turns mental activity into text with better than 90% accuracy. Carnegie Mellon University research has found ways to read complex thoughts based on brain scans and output text accordingly. The university study demonstrated that complex thinking could enable its AI to predict the next sentence in the thought process. More concerning is that Facebook's clandestine Building 8 division is working on a way for users to send Facebook Messenger messages using thoughts alone. Scary stuff. Meanwhile, a number of gadgets available now use headbands and sensors that enable you to control objects such as helicopters, cat ears, yes that's right, and even integrations with virtual reality. But do all these advances come at a cost? Is smart technology only as smart as the person controlling it, especially if it's left to the mind of the user? What would the support system look like? Would someone have to tap into your thoughts to understand the issue you're experiencing? Or is all this a front for advanced data mining? In an ecosystem where scandals of Cambridge Analytica wax lyrical with an increasing commonality of applications wanting access to your files, folders, contacts and emails, how far does it all go? Perhaps I'll just settle for a robot butler. Yeah, I'd like a robot butler. I, I think that's probably the safest, the safest of all, isn't it really? What, what, do, you, what, what do you think? I thought it was really cool. I, I liked how you made it much more grounded in the kind of modern worries of tech. Because obviously 30 years ago, tomorrow's world wasn't thinking about data mining and the massive breaches of privacy and what that means for democracy. And the fact that you can turn just what we think of as gadgets into, you know, just part of our political landscape and work that into your article. I thought that was really cool of you. Well done. Oh, thank you. I, I'll be honest, it, it was also remarkably hard to truly think of something we, we don't have now in any way, shape or form. Right, yeah. Well, presumably, if you could, then you would be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Cambridge Analytica. Well, this is true. This is true. So those were our two articles. Uh, not bad for a first attempt, I think, from such yeah. uh, randomised prompts. Yeah, I think you did really well. And if this is the bar you're setting for yourself, you've got to wait, you know, yeah. It'll be hard for you to match it next week, I think. I, I, I think you've already peaked uh, with Hackers Stole My Heart. Um, yeah, I mean, right. I, know, I know we said uh, two to make it true. Three is the real trifecta. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, basically we can coast from now on, right? If that was the best episode we've ever done and the best article we've ever going to write, we can just chill. Saying that, shall we move on swiftly to this uh, episode's prompts? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, seeing as I pitched first in the last episode, why don't you pitch first this time? Okay. Okay. Um, so I found my three prompts, and uh, you'll be pleased to know only one of them is coronavirus related this time. <laughs> I was wondering. I was thinking, are you going to go for like a trifecta of coronavirus pictures? But no, it's just the one. Okay, I'll live with that. Prompt option number one. Robot dog enforces social distancing in Singapore Park. Oh, wow. Uh, I've got you. I've got you already, <laughs> haven't I? I've got you already. You do, yeah. I, I thought you were going to go like, robot dog bites man. No, um, no, no. They've, they've, they've... Robot dog enforces social distancing. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... So I think I've seen some news stories about drones being used to like spread the message of the pandemic and the warnings of it. But like, let's hear more about what Singapore's doing. So, um, are you familiar with the Boston Dynamics uh, robots that can walk self-right? Basically, don't fall over. They look like a pack mule. I think so. Is that the one where there was a guy poking one with like a hockey stick trying to get it to fall over? That's the one, yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, 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 I don't know. So basically... Um, uh, They're creating the Terminators of tomorrow, today. It does seem a little bit um, slightly Skynet. It's a little bit creepy. <laughs> Basically, they have procured um, a robot from Boston Dynamics. They've fitted it with a camera and a loudspeaker so it can monitor how busy uh, Bisheng and Myokyo Park becomes and then broadcast social distancing messages and basically tell people to, you know, stay away from each other or stay two metres apart. I won't huh. lie, that's pretty much the entire story, but it was more, the reason this, this came out to me is, I think this is the first time I've seen a Boston, a Boston dynamic robot being used outside of anything remotely military worthy. Okay. Like, um, you know, like they say, a lot of it has been training with um, the, the base mechanics and there was always this sort of um, illusion that there would be military purposes or, you know, more sort of logistical-based purposes, but not so much sort of general policing. Makes sense, though. Like, I'm not entirely surprised. No. Um, and I guess the reason I mention this is um, the prompt on this one would be uh, technology and um, gadgetry that has been adapted or adopted and is now used for purposes not maybe originally conceived. Mm -hmm. So I, Do you have any examples? Um, well, um, I know, for instance, a lot of um, technology is, is quite often, or, or advancements, are quite often trialled with the military first before being, um, you know, uh, commercialised or put out into the more domestic market. So I think I'd actually like to try and research that a bit more and come up with some key examples, um, say, over the past, you know, say 10, 15, 20 years, where um, items have been developed for one purpose, have been repackaged or, or, or taken by um, uh, another sort of consumer base find a new home i think it'd be quite interesting hmm. so sure yeah, sweet. interesting. sure be sweet that was my first one cool what um 
Number two is, well, it's, it's actually probably some of the biggest news uh, right now, which is that uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 is getting a remake. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, everybody's favourite skating game from, from back in the day. Now again, cool. the, re the reason I'm bringing this up, um, it's not your usual remaster. They are literally sort of rebuilding the game from the ground up. Um, the company Vicarious Visions is doing the work um, in line with Activision, who uh, published the game originally. In fact, um, it's it's it's. I think it's going to be uh, a really uh, exciting thing to see. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. Uh, one and two were. I played a demo. Yeah, I think I was more of a fan of um, yeah, just not sports. <laughs> the whole point of me for me playing video games was to get away from outdoorsiness and sports and all the things I was bad at. Well, so, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the reason this is this is um, quite exciting for a lot of people. I mean, one and two, two particularly were probably sort of the. I think they're still fondly seen as the pinnacle of the series. Three was good. Four was a bit pants, and then it all went a bit wayward. You had things like Tony Hawk Ride, where there was an actual solid board that you put on the floor and stepped on it, and it was supposed to tell which way you were leaning or pushing back on, um, and it just sort of fell by the wayside. Um, okay. But uh, I think people are really excited about this, and the reason I'm bringing this up is um, I think it'd be really really sort of uh, cool to explore um, some of the more mainstream and uh, successful remakings and remasters of previous classics. I mean, Okay, so what kind of golden age would you return to in your article? Well, I mean, some of the, ones, some of the more recent ones that spring to mind are things like the Resident Evil series. Um, okay, Cap yeah. yeah I've played the remake of that, actually. Capcom is currently going through Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 2, I mm -hmm. think they're looking at 3 and 4. Um, and again, they're not necessarily just um, upscaling the uh, resolution to HD, which would be what a typical remaster is. But they're actually remaking them with better graphics, um, fixing bugs, you know, all that kind of thing. And basically breathing some new life into games that... Uh, may have originally featured on uh, PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2 from a, a, a new audience and for people who remember them fondly. Uh, similarly, um, things like uh, Sonic Mania, which was actually originally made as like a sort of fan homage and grew a lot of traction, um, really goes back to sort of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Hedgehog games. Um, mm. So I think there's some, it's quite, one of the things that I've, I've noticed as of late is there's a lot more um, games companies looking at remastering and re-releasing um, new reinvigorated versions of their older titles, um, much more than perhaps you saw previously. Um, and whether that's you know, becoming a real trend so rather than struggle to create brand new IPs or try and build 
on the success of an older title. They're actually looking to, you know, take it apart from scratch and then completely remodel and, and hone and fine tune their original works. So that would be my second. I guess one. It makes sense because there's the possibility of a whole new market for these products as well as the kind of retro appeal or hmm. the um, nostalgia appeal for the <laughs> people who originally played it. I mean, I don't like it as a as a trend particularly, uh, but I can understand that a lot of people do. I well, think I'm just curious. I, I what used to think games it was. Would you not do well oh. from being remastered? Oh, um... if there are any. Well, I know. I mean. People always say about they would love to have, and I think this is in the works. Um, I think they're looking to remaster um, Call of Duty uh, Four, I think. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think certain titles uh, don't necessarily need to be remastered or remodeled. I sometimes think, and this would be the flip side of the article. It, I think there's a fine line between paying homage and breathing new life into something and a cash grab. So, mm -hmm. so almost sort of preying on knowing it's a guaranteed seller because people will want to see what you've done to their favourite classic game or something that grabbed their attention for so long when they were young. And it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's a great remake or an iffy remaster with a bit of touch-ups here and there it's still going to sell to a certain degree so i think it's also knowing who who wants to be faithful to their original who wants to bring things forward and who just wants to make a bit of extra money so hmm. yeah i think that would be how i look at it um well i've certainly noticed a lot of uh, a, a lot of companies sort of releasing a few more of these remakes than the previous and of course the latest announcement of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 is a massive uh, announcement for a lot of people mm. because it was such a classic um, set of games Sure, so would your article be like a retrospective of remakes like what are the best and the worst remakes or am I getting the wrong impression here I think What is it, it you're pitching? It would be um why perhaps is there this rising trend of revisiting classic titles? Mm -hmm. is, it okay. is it because the companies feel that they can't build on the true success of the originals by the sequels? Or do, they, you know, do, those, do those people have such a love for their own titles, they're willing to revisit it and you know, give it some TLC and keep it alive for a newer audience who maybe haven't seen it before or have seen it but aren't um, as enticed by it because it, you know, by today's standards it looks dated or the mechanics are a bit clunky, for instance. Hmm. So it's how you breathe life into you know, these classic titles without trying to just you know, sell them off to, to um, whoever might be keen to see what you've done with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of um, what I was sort of keen to, to to look at. Like I said, you've got things like Resident Evil. Um, also, for instance, something that's perhaps not a uh, a, a remake, but is is a, a, a very much a sort of um, uh, successor in in many ways. Um, Streets of Rage Four has just come out, which so a requel, you might say. Almost the Streets of Rage a reboot sequel. 
it is a reboot sequel. So Streets of Rage 4 has, has just come out. It's got a very um, new look to it. It's moved away from the pixel graphics. Um, there's there's combos. Um, and But also they, they still keep that same um, sort of vibe and energy about the, mm. about the game. But it's so sort of... You could almost approach it like fairy tales in the way that every generation they get retold in a new way to fit modern tastes and sensibilities. Yeah. But just with a shorter lifespan. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. And like I said, it, 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 sometimes it feels like, you know, they, they, someone will stretch out a series of games. What can we do next? What can we do next? And then they'll look back yeah. at it and realise, okay, this was the peak. We've kind <laughs> of, you know, back, back here on the second or third iteration was the peak. Yeah. We should probably just stick to this or revisit this because that's what got our biggest draw. Okay, like how our peak was episode one. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're, cool. we're, we're never going to <laughs> eclipse that. No. Yeah. All right. Well, moving swiftly on, what's number three? What's your okay. third pitch? My, my third pitch. This is more of a... Um, it, 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 it bore from um, the fact that I currently have um, a three-month-old. And uh, one of the things that I have been picking up recently, particularly recently is with her development, all of her firsts that she's starting to have. And me realizing that she will never really remember the firsts herself. So what I mean by this is there's a lot of like pivotal moments in um, uh, an infant's early development. Things like learning to clutch, learning to roll, learning to crawl, learning to walk, obviously, um, making noises, you know, learning speech, all that kind of thing. But, for instance, what was you, what's your earliest memory as a child? I think it was probably a birthday cake. It was like a green dragon surrounded by gold chocolate coins. But how old were you? No idea how old I was. No mm. idea. I think five, six, maybe younger. But most people aren't able to really memorize or remember anything from the age of less than, say, two or three. Mm. So it, it, it struck me as quite um, a thing that I'm seeing her earliest advancements as memories of my own that she'll never have. So mm. I'll have to tell her about all these developments when she's older. So then I started looking at things like, what is the average earliest memory or earliest age of having a memory um and there's an, there's an article on live science from a couple of years ago called your earliest memory probably never happened and there's also <laughs> Sorry, blade runner sounding it is yeah um and it, it it's potentially because um there's 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 a thing called um child um oh, what's we're looking for Amnesia, child or childhood amnesia. So it's a sense of, um, you know, the memories that you think you've had can be fictional, either implanted because people have told you that you did certain things, or it's information that is pieced together from a photo that you've seen, and your brain sort of sees these and then sort of implants this memory. Hmm. So 
So, for instance, for me, one of the earliest memories I have, quite a vivid memory from, say, the age of four, was moving house. We moved house, and um, I quite keenly remember um, getting to the new place where everything was sort of in boxes, sitting down on a seat and watching Knight Rider. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I also have vague memories of around the age of two, but I don't know whether they are legitimate memories or my brain has told me I remember because I've been, in, I've been informed about it by my parents that many times. Yeah. So the prompt as such is my memories, are, it's almost like, say, I'm vicariously living through my daughter's development, realising this must be what it was like for myself as I was mm. learning all these new things, like seeing her amazement and wonder at all these new experiences. Like the other day, she was scratching my um, hoodie, it's like a polyester hoodie, and the noise from it fascinated her. Now, I can't imagine now being fascinated by anything remotely as simple as that, but I can only dream or, or wonder how I must have felt experiencing such things at such a tiny age. So that's yeah. kind of my third, my, my third prompt, is sort of the, the sort of vicarious um, uh, experiences of, of watching um, your, your, your child learn these new things for the first time and realising that's what you did when you were young, but you have no memory of it and neither will she. Unless we obviously, you know, remind her of these things and teach her about these things when she's older. But then I guess the point of your article that you mentioned earlier was that then she still wouldn't have the memory. She'd have an implanted memory, or so like a synthetic memory. So is it just an endless cycle? Exactly. Is well, it that, sort of, or, or is it, or is it somewhat paradoxical? You know. Yeah. Well, like. Yeah. Yeah. What? What direction? I guess I'd have to wait and read it yeah. to find out but yeah I, I guess i'd be wondering like what do you then define human life as being like in relation to memory are we already always in some way just the stories that we're told not necessarily the actions that we do yeah, it's cool okay that's the one i like the most i suppose also there's a nice um additional element which is yeah as much as your children learn from you you're also learning from them because uh, you're because you're seeing their discoveries and you're yeah. realizing this is perhaps what it was like when i had these discoveries you're seeing their yeah. their face light up their confused expressions their their, their 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 sort of ability to grasp or slowly grasp what's happening around them i don't know well, if th th at that point it feels very like hollywood blockbuster like, oh, yes, I've taught my daughter so much, but really she was teaching me stuff all along. Okay, I'm not such a maybe fan not, of that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not that far. Okay, cool. So, yeah, those um, are my, those are my still three. the one I like the most. That's the oh. coolest. Yeah, definitely number three. Very okay. strong on that. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. I will, um, I will go away and attempt to write some drivel uh, based upon <laughs> that prompt. Thank you. Well, I hope you fail to write drivel and you come up with genius instead. <laughs> okay, Reese. Um, how about you tell us your ideas for prompts? Cool. Um, so the first one is based off this article that read more like 
um, an advert, so I'm not going to tell you where it's from. But basically, it was talking about dating and like dating sites and the photographs you put on them. So, okay, uh, <laughs> I've got a couple of statistics for you. They're probably not going to blow your mind. Was this but... one of those ads that yeah. says um, "young females available in your area"? Was it one of those? <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it was. It was a legitimate ad on um, like some digital imaging websites. And it's saying, these statistics will shock you. Find out more. So first of all, if I told you that 58% of people would probably swipe left if they saw you on a dating profile with no images. Like, they wouldn't even give you a chance. They wouldn't read your bio. It should be instant left swipe. That's not mm. too surprising, is it? No, although I have to admit, I'm going to show my uh, age and lack of uh, sort of use to dating apps. I was about to say... What does swipe left do? <laughs> what is left swiping? Yes. So um, on Tinder, a, a profile will pop up with an image and you swipe left to say no, right to say yes. Right, I see. Those are the core I mechanics to, to say it in video game terms. Well, no, I, I think I would. I, I do understand that. I mean, it's, okay. I mean, I I mean let's face it, it's, it's a guessing game at best. So if I have to guess, <laughs> guess what they look like... I'm probably going to yeah. be more drawn. Just, I mean, we're, we're, human beings are very visual people, so no, I yeah. get that. Yeah. Um, and so that's fifty-eight percent of people aside. Um, then, if you've got bad photos on your profile, thirty-three percent of people say they would instantly reject your profile. And wow. if you have good photos, thirty-eight percent of people said they are much more likely to say yes to you just based on that they'll overlook things like um height discrepancy like if there's a big height gap they'd be like i don't mind too much if um your education level isn't quite what they're after as long as your photos look good they're willing to overlook it and also your politics the idea that you might be at each other's throats <laughs> over the result of a referendum or uh, general election or whatever uh, they'd overlook as long as your photos look cute Wow. So you see, um, looking for good personality isn't quite as true as maybe we thought. No, right? Um, and 42% of people in, surveyed for this article uh, believe that they can tell when a photo has been edited. Hmm, okay. And I thought that was interesting because like, we've had a chat previously, not on this podcast, uh, kind of talking about when people have really poorly photoshopped their images in order to like... Uh, exaggerate their proportions. Oh you yes, can see, like the bathroom tiles in the background are warped. Yes, or the the, the um, wall behind them is bent. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or like their their skin is so smooth they look like they're made out of wax. Yes, or a doll. Yeah, right. Basically, um, the thing is that I found really surprising is that twenty three percent of people don't mind. Oh no, that is bizarre. Why would you not mind? Why would you not mind uh, someone's faking themselves? Right, well, I think that a lot of people can understand that photography and the photos that comes out at the end is not the same as real life. And mm. well, true. so if they're looking at an image and they can say, well, that's definitely a really processed image. I don't mind that the person might not be exactly the same because maybe it's just that they're putting in the effort. Um, huh. So... 
So where 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 are you where are you going with this? What's your your hot take in terms of a of a of a, of a prompt? How would you how would you look so at this? So I guess it's mostly about the fact that if we're applying certain criteria to the photos on dating profiles, are we assuming is that like an extension of when we look at Instagram, for example? We might assume that everyone's using some sort of Snapchat filter to make their eyes bigger or whatever. Are they um, tweaking things maybe in a Photoshop-like software? And is that then also a leftover from the way that we interact with adverts? Because we know that adverts are all so, so Photoshopped at this point. Uh, for example, it's not just still images, but like videos as well. I was surprised to find out that the majority of car adverts the car isn't real. It's a 3D render animated <laughs> to look like a real car driving through a picturesque landscape. So picture perfect. No car looks that good, right? Well, better than picture perfect. Exactly. So I think is what would you um, determine is a acceptable edit and what is the realms of Photoshop that start into life? For instance, we've all done auto white balance. We've all done auto contrast. Or, you know, we've all um, tried to get the exposure, you know, by tapping to get rid of the, the, the sun flares. Is that acceptable? Is red eye reduction acceptable? How far do you take it? Yeah, I'd say it's completely acceptable. Uh, if somebody wanted to Photoshop themselves so that it looks like they're headless, and in fact their head is in a frying pan that they're making dinner in, I would think that's hilarious. And that's a great way that they're showing their personality through a photo. I think that it's wrong to talk about photography as though it should always be a reflection of real life. Um, you know, and because obviously images are important to us, otherwise we'd all settle for a kind of police mugshot. <clears throat> Sorry. Otherwise we'd all settle for a police mugshot of ourselves stood against a wall with our height details behind us and really unflattering lights from above. Yeah, but you can't smile but in those. we just those. not have them. Sorry? You can't, you can't smile in those. You always no, have to exactly. Like you always have to frame. No so one... I think that the artifice of photography has always existed before the photo editing came into it. There's always a level of construction there. And the fact that we're recognizing that photo editing exists and that it's becoming more commonplace, I think is great in that we're becoming more photo literate. And that hmm. should not be a cause of concern. Well, I guess if you go back and look at things like um, when people... Uh, before before photography was available um and people would have their portraits painted quite often they would ask the artist to you know uh, please don't paint my blemishes um i think oliver cromwell quite famously um had all of his blemishes sort of included because he wanted people to see exactly how he was but a lot yeah. of let us say a, a painting of like say uh louis the 16th for instance it's 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 the um you know it's it, it's the fine art equivalent of airbrushing. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that there are choices to do with rep how you represent yourself that you make even before the photo is taken. Sure. So like you know, getting your hair cut regularly, brushing your teeth, wearing clean clothes. These are yeah. all things that show a certain side of who you are, not necessarily a complete image, because nobody wants to see a complete image of who everyone else is. No, of course. And there's, there's always um, uh, uh, how you want to be perceived by how you look as well, isn't it? As you say, it's all yeah. about um, 
you know, for instance, if we go back to the um, Tinder analogy, if you are to use a photo, you're effectively trying to use a photo which you think would appeal in some way to get more swipes, I would imagine. So whether you go down the um, traditional um, looking your best route or whether you went down the comical route to, you know, add a touch of humour and, and, and get... Uh, I guess it depends who you're obviously aiming to uh, aiming towards. Right, exactly. Like, I know people who will say that they prefer people who don't look like they have professional photos on their dating profiles because they don't want someone who's gone through that much effort to present themselves in a certain way. And, and that's, that's fine for them. Like, it's a meeting of minds, and that's what photography enables. Sure. Okay. So that's your... Um, so what's your that's next number one? one. Yeah. yeah. So what's the, what's uh, your just next to one? quickly, I was really proud of the title I was going to give that one. It's called oh, Tinder God. Snaps. A bit like Ginger Snaps, but Tinder Snaps. I like it. So, it it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's you, Reese. It's definitely you. <laughs> um, definitely pun, me. Puns are, are your thing. Puns galore. So uh, uh, the second pitch yeah. is about my screenplay. Now, this might not surprise you, Dan, uh -huh. but... Uh, I'm writing a screenplay, which you might know from the fact that we met at a writing group. Don't tell people where you met. Why not? It's going to spoil the I'm whole thing. Spoiler. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I swiped. No. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the picture of you uh, headless with the frying pan that did it for me. That's all. Yeah. And yours was of you looking trapped inside a washing machine. With the water level rising up about your eyebrows. It certainly wasn't done with a level of professionalism. <laughs> yes, I seem to remember it being done in crayons. So, uh... Okay. So, your screenplay. My screenplay. I can't finish it. I don't know what's happening. I, I did a first draft. Uh, I was relatively happy with it. I read through it again. I hated it. And since then, I've been stuck on, like, the first half of it for a good six months now. Or more. Probably more. Closer to a year now. And I think I've realized that there's like, there's no heart to the story. There's no way that it's trying to build to. And so by going over the beginning and beginning over and over again, I've been trying to perfect, um, I guess, trying to like push a car that has no motor, hoping that eventually it will start up by itself. So I this think all sounds quite my tragic, solution, to the, well, <laughs> I think I found the solution. Because when I started writing it, it's a, it's a film about a horror film, about a music festival. And I started writing it when uh, I was coming home one night after work on the weekend. And the streets of Morden were absolutely packed with drunken teenagers. Um, I don't know. Do you know the Eastern Electrics music festival in Morden Park? I do. I can hear it from my house. Right. It, it sounds like a lot of fun, to be it fair. It does. And, from the comfort uh, of I, my house, it sounds great. <laughs> Well, and on my way to work that very morning that I'm talking about, they looked like, you know, I wished that I could have gone. But it's just on the way back, I was so stressful. And they were all so incredibly pale from looking like they'd thrown up several times and looking exhausted and confused and kind of drunkenly stumbling back to the tube station um, that I thought, oh, this would be a great setting for a music festival, for um, a horror film. Except that that's not really a story in itself that's very much a setting and where a story needs to build to is to have like i think a philosophy of how the characters involved should be living and the way that they should be interacting because you can't just 
move away from something in a story you have to move towards an idea mm. and that's that would basically be the premise of the article how do you move towards an idea where do you take that inspiration from and how do you apply it to a story this this almost feels like a form of closure <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm using you as a therapist i'm not gonna lie um i mean i'm getting I'm, I'm getting shades of, you know, all work and no play makes Reese a dull boy. Um, well, the problem is that it's not working anyway. <laughs> so, no work and too much podcasting makes Reese have some sudden clarity on a matter that was troubling him for a while. I mean, I don't want you to sort of give up on this at all. I want you to sort of conquer your... Conquer your, uh, I was going to say fears, but that's probably not the best place to use. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, th this is merely, this is clearly just a, a, a stumbling block. And perhaps, perhaps you're right, perhaps looking at it in a new way, from a new perspective, uh, will help uh, to, to sort of combat this uh, slight, slight stumble. Right, to unblock the pipes. No, I, I feel for you, I do. Um, <laughs> Don't feel for me, that's the opposite of what I want. Okay, I don't feel for you. You're worthless. Go on with it. <laughs> what is your yeah, third no. topic? Uh, my third topic is actually kind of, I guess, a response to the second. So okay. it's, it's about the pandemic. It's about lockdown and COVID-19. Specifically, I thought, you said you, I thought you said you didn't want to timestamp this uh, podcast. I'm just like, well, you know, it's already timestamped according to like when I'm alive. And my cultural references. So I'm just going to make it slightly more specific than that. Okay. When historians re-listen to this podcast centuries from now, Dan, because of course it will survive the passage of time, because uh, it's going to be <laughs> an important historical artifact. Well, it's, only, it's, on, it, it's on the internet we now. So. It's on the internet, yeah. It's not going anywhere. So since the lockdown started, I've been playing a lot more board games with friends over Discord on Tabletop Simulator. And one of those games is Pandemic Legacy, which is a cooperative board game about trying to contain and cure global diseases before time runs out. Topical. Which is fitting. Topical. It's topical, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of ironic and fitting and distasteful, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's done me a lot of good. Because when the lockdown first started, uh, it really stressed me out. I know back in early February, I was reading the news a lot, and I was freaking out that this wasn't just going to be another swine flu. It would mm -hmm. be kind of a disease over there and it would never reach British shores. So I bought myself uh, an FFP3 face mask and started checking Reddit twice a day for any kind of news, which, needless to say, was not very good for my health. Like it sent my stress levels through the roof. And what I ended up doing instead was playing Plague Inc. I don't know if you've played Plague Inc. I have played Plague Inc. I think, I think Iceland and Madagascar are always the hardest ones. Was it Greenland? <laughs> I think Greenland, yeah, Greenland, Greenland is usually Greenland and Madagascar. They're the, they're always the tough nuts to crack. Yeah. Well, so just for anyone who hasn't played it, Plague Inc. is basically the opposite of Pandemic, the board game that I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, pitch, because Plague Inc. is a video game where you control a pathogen trying to infect every living person in the world. And for a while, this really helped me because it gave me like a sense of control, or at least like an understanding, a way to visualize what was happening. It took away some of the unknowns that weren't being covered in the news and it also gave me a sense of nostalgia because i first played this game back in 2008 uh, as a like a web-based flash game mm. um 
And so a few days, maybe a few weeks after I started playing that, that's when the lockdown came into effect. And I started playing tabletop simulator games with uh, my friends online. And that was, you know, it felt like even more of a help because instead of like perpetuating the fear of a disease that cannot be controlled and to continue to spread, it's about uh, kind of emulating the effect, the efforts of those who are trying to contain it and cure it. You know, all the people who are on the front line of this pandemic doing the best that they can so the rest of us can have a more comfortable life and also to stop people dying, which is a very real thing. And so being able to kind of pretend, play pretend at doing that through a board game, I thought was really helpful and useful. Um, and so basically what this article would be about is my hope for the future going forward that I don't lose that sight of what games can be, both board games and video games, like a sense of not necessarily understanding parts of, you know, the world that you'll never directly experience, right? but maybe emulating it and just getting a feel for what it might mean out there in the world, in the broader world. I think it's also, um, and I think a lot of the time, well, no, not so much nowadays, but classically, I think a lot of times gaming did not get um, enough good rep when it came to things like well-being, um, is it therapy, coming to terms with things, um, coping mechanisms, you know, um, learning about experiences through a medium such as a game. Um, it's it, 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 it's it's a great form of medium um, when when used in the right way. It's not all run here, shoot this guy, pick up, pick up this item, run to the checkpoint. Um, oh, absolutely. I completely agree. The, the one game I've been playing nonstop for the last few days is Stardew Valley, oh. which is a farming simulator. Very stripped back, very relaxed attitude game. It's amazing. Uh, did you know that it was made by one guy? I'm not, I'm not surprised. It's got such like an energy to it. It feels like one person's vision. It's 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 fantastic. Uh, the fact you can get it on mobile now is that that, that that's quite uh, that's quite something. Um, I have to admit, I have played it before, uh, but carry on. It's I'm 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 really happy you're enjoying it. It's it's a fantastic game. Yeah, well, it's it's so much fun now that it has multiplayer, which I hear is a new thing for it. Being able to open a bottle of wine, have a glass, and just chat with friends as we build a farm together is something that I didn't realize that. I would get from this lockdown. It wasn't something that I thought I would enjoy. It wasn't my kind of experience beforehand. Sorry, um, but was, now that I've been over, sorry, was the wine in game or in real life? <laughs> in real life, but I've heard that you can make wine in the game as well. Also, pale ale, which I'm a fan of. So you can make wine whilst drinking wine. That's that's good. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's also um, something constructive, something to do with your time. I mean, I say constructive, but in a way of keeping oneself occupied, socialising with people, um, obviously within the lockdown abided rules, um, and, you know, uh, making the most of the time that we have in this situation. Um, yeah, I mean, isn't that what all art has always tried to do? To give you a constructive way to use time that isn't necessarily pragmatic? So what would be your um, title for this third topic? 
Uh, I was going to call it my pandemic legacy because it'll be my hopes for the legacy uh, from when COVID-19 kind of goes away. Like, what do I take with me coming out of lockdown? Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, my pandemic legacy, how I learned to stop worrying and love the board games. See, I think out of all of those, I actually think the last is my favourite. I hope so. I saved the best for last. I thought it was the strongest. No, I think it's good. But I'm I mean, glad you agree. I, I know it's it's obviously, again, somewhat topical, but um, there, there seems to be a real sort of um, emotive connection there, and it's clearly something that's drawn on, on your mind, and it will probably help you to, to put it to words, actually. Um, yeah, right, rather than this kind of babbling mess that's been the last 10 minutes. Well, you know, obviously, I'll have to read it next time, so... <laughs> it, it'll yeah, be down I'll to do me then. Best. I mean, to be it fair, be I, to, to be fair, I was almost going to, you know, make you have to torturously write about your screenplay. But I think this is 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 just as an, a sort of emotive thing for yourself. But I think there's also possibly a strong connection for anyone listening out there who also has their concerns, worries, um, uneases about what's going on right now, and might want to hear how people are dealing with it. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I mean... Excellent. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I, I guess once again, um, it'll be time for us to disappear and write two new articles. Um, in the meantime, uh, we will be posting the articles read out today on our Medium publication, um, which is, I believe, medium.com/slash/probnight. Um, we will put those up for people to read, and uh, again, we'll 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 meet back, read through the new ones, and come up with each come up with three equally more bizarre, wacky, and wonderful prompt ideas. Reese, it's been a pleasure. Same to you, Dan. And as always, uh, this has been episode two of Prompt Nights, brought to you once again by the Basic Pitches. Thank you. Stay safe. Stay indoors. And stay alert, apparently. That's our new thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye.